the graph writer, the breakdancer, the MC, the DJ, all hip-hop elements and all titles held by my next guest. New album just dropped, Hip Hop Frontline. He's DJ K. Slay, and I want to welcome him to the library with Tim Monica. Welcome, man. Thanks for joining us. Hey, what's going on, bro? Sure. I want to kind of talk about your earlier, just real quickly talk about your earlier art. Um, you know, you and the graph community, it's kind of important to me because I went to the high school that the Graffiti Hall of Fame, the wall is actually, uh, is it is its yard? Um, I want to talk about like how, how important was graph to you or is graph to you in terms of hip hop and how important is graph for the hip hop community? I mean, graffiti is one of the five elements within hip hop. So it's just, as important as every other element, you know, from the DJ to the MC to the breakdancer to having knowledge of self. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people try to separate it and say it's, it's its own entity, but DJing is its own entity. MCing is its own entity. A breakdancing or dancing is its own entity, and so is having knowledge of self. Every entity that is a component in the culture has been around longer than hip-hop. But hip-hop is a way that urban kids express themselves and had a voice, you know, a platform to, to voice themselves, you know, and it wasn't about the money. It was just something that we lived day to day. So those were things that we lived every day. Mm-hmm. And that formulated hip-hop. So every element is just as important as the other, no matter what. As mentioned, the uh, you know the Graffiti Hall of Fame on 106 and Park is my high school, and I remember, you know, being you mean the, junior high school. Well, it was both. So it, I graduated in 1997. Oh, that's uh, why. Yeah. Well, I, I went. I went. I went there in actually in 78 and 79. Oh, I nice. was in Junior. It was, it was junior high school 13. It was never high school back then. So maybe it changed. Yeah, it changed to. Uh, so there was a school called uh, Central Park East Secondary School. Okay. And that was like that was from uh, like 1988 to I think 2000 and something, and then it kind of uh, you know it dismantled itself. And uh, like so, prior to so I was there prior to uh, you know the, now there's astroturf on the on the courtyard. Uh, prior- oh, yeah, when they turned it into a, 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 a something else, I don't yeah. know what. To do. <laughs> uh, yeah. I want to talk to you about that 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 wall. I mean, what? What's the in general? What's the what's the importance of that wall to hip hop? But also, what was it like when you were kind of you know writing, doing your pieces on that wall? You know, back then to like what what is it? What is it? What is it like now? All right. So to give you the science behind the City Hall of Fame, it was actually started with myself, Ray Rodriguez, a brother named Deuce, um, Volcan, and Part One. The City Hall of Fame first started in Park East High School on Hun. Fifth Street between um, Second and Third Avenue. One and we had uh, Butch. Two had pieces in there. Ca- uh, case two. Rest in peace, Lady Pink. Mayor Doe's um, scene from TC Five. Volcan. And once it got too filled up, Grace Rodriguez was the community organizer. We had to find another space that would be accurate to get all the artists at. And um, he put in a proposal because, like I said, he was the community organizer. And the city approved him, and the school approved him to do that schoolyard. Then paint was a problem, so we put in a proposal to Red Devil Paint Company, and Red Devil approved uh, giving us as much cans as we could take because it's an expiration date on spray paint, which a lot of people don't know where the cans start exploding, mm-hmm. I guess. So they gave us all the paint we could take. 
And that's when I did the outside wall. I did the actual letters that said graffiti Hall of Fame. And I said it put it was a special community project. And I shouted out Red Devil Paint. Volcan did the plasmatic piece. And uh, Deuce did the Smurf houses. Wow. That was 1981. So that's how the whole graffiti Hall of Fame started. As far as painting in the schoolyard, it was iconic to me because, like I said, I went to that school. So I used to look out the window and be doodling, and, you know, I remember seeing the part pieces down there, and K-56, and Zero, you know, and, and, like, it was just, like, you know, monumental to me to finally, like, live out my dream of being a graph artist and coming back to paint in my neighborhood, in the schoolyard for the school I went to that I used to look out the window at. Right. One thing I really always remember is that, when people, uh, when artists were, I don't know, I don't know in my, were they commissioned that or not, when, when they were doing their pieces while we were, you know, playing football in the yard or something, uh, the pieces were never, there's always this great respect, I think, in the graph, in the graph community, never to write over someone's piece. Uh, yeah. Do you think that, especially with the, but then, but then I've gone by to the, I've gone by the, you know, the, the wall and I've seen, you know, people write over stuff. Is that mean the, is, is something that's being missed? I mean, is there, uh, is that respect that's not there anymore? Is it, has it changed or is that just kind of like one off kind of a-holes doing whatever? Yeah, well, it's always been idiots. Even back in the day, it's always been an idiot or two that, you know, I guess silly toy no talented guys that just look to destroy things to get notoriety, you know? Right. And so I just feel like it's just somebody being silly, right. you know? It's not even like they have a beef with a person. They just want to do it just to do it. Jealousy, I guess, you know? So, here's my how, do, so how, does it, how do you become, um, you know, someone doing graph, uh, you know, under Dez, and then how does, how does Dez become DJ K-Slay? I mean, anybody that knew me, which most of the graph artists from the East Side and even from the Bronx, like G-Man, PGA, they all knew that. The same time that I was doing graph, I used to DJ. Only thing is that, like I said, everything I did, I did, we did not do it looking to get rich and famous. It was just like, this is something, it was a hood thing. This is our thing. This is what we wanted to do, and that's what I was doing at the time, but... You know, Henry Chalfon caught a lot of the images of me DJing when I was 16, 17 years old in the parks in Harlem and the Bronx, and as well as he caught my graffiti pieces on the subway. So like I said, hip-hop is something you live. I was living it then, and, you know, as time evolved, I just decided to uh, stop playing the street game because, like I said, there was no money involved when we were doing that back then. So we got involved in other negative aspects of life, and after I got... You know, sick and tired of being sick and tired of doing stupid shit, I decided to go back to one of my first loves, which was, you know, DJing, like, one of the elements of, of hip-hop, and take it as serious as I took the negativity that I've done in my life. Mm-hmm. And it started to work for me. So I was like, okay, you know what? This is maybe something I could do. Now, I really was on a mission just to be able to, you know, keep myself afloat pay my bills and feed my family. I wasn't really trying to be this big DJ K slave, but unfortunately when you're good at doing what you do, it's going to manifest into what it is. And, and it's just that simple. I just went as hard with positivity as I went with the negativity and I step by step, I got to where I'm at. 
Uh, I want to, before we get to your new album, I want to turn just really quickly to, you know, uh, to one of your earlier works, uh, the Sweet Sweeps Volume 1. Street Sweeper. Sweet Sweeper, I'm sorry. Street Sweeper, Sweeper Street, Volume 1, yeah. Um, the track, uh, The Champions, you know, features yourself, obviously, DJ Koo, Kid Capri, Funkmaster Flex, Tony Touch, Ron G, and, 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 and more. And what's great about it, as you're mentioning, it, it highlights the DJ. And what you do is that you have some of these DJs rhyming. Um, mm-hmm. if, I know it's been, I know it was a while ago, but if you could kind of take me into how that track was created and, 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 and why use the, to highlight the DJ, why get them to, I guess, rhyme versus maybe individuals taking like a, a turn, uh, cutting up. Because the DJ is the backbone of the culture. Always has been and always will be in my eyes. I mean, even from day one, it was us that had to put the record to the needle and keep the. 10 second or 12 or 3 second beat going back and forth in order to put an MC to rhyme out in the park. So I always felt we had a story or we wanted to talk our shit on sometime or whatever and, it, you know, we wasn't really being heard. And after before, it was like every MC had a DJ until it went to shit. That wasn't even, you know, they got, it's the replays now and the guy who's DJ, you don't even know who he is. Right. So, I felt like this was like a record where we could gloat and, you know, put our cloud out there and, and, and do what we wanted to do, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's what that was about. Uh, on the same album, uh, something that you do, uh, you, when you when you rhyme, it's the fir- I think it's the, I believe it's the first track, you rhyme about how you were a kid and you went back and forth from Harlem to the Bronx. Um, yeah. What impact do you think these areas... If you you know looking at your your the impact that hip hop has had on you, what impact do you think these areas kind of had on you as a hip hop artist and someone who you know is you know one of the forefronts of this of this culture? Well, you know, like I said, you know, being a part of the culture, you know, is life experience and you speaking, you know, you're telling your story. And mm-hmm. um, Harlem, the Bronx, you know, of course, Bronx is where. Uh, Hip hop began, but any bridge <laughs> from Harlem to the Bronx is no more than two and a half, three minutes tops yeah. going across. <laughs> if that, so whatever was going on in the Bronx, you pretty much could say was going to be going on in Harlem in a matter of minutes. Mm-hmm. And we kind of, you know, intertwined with one another. So me having the best of, of, of both boroughs. I was able to see everything that was really, really going on in the culture from the best that was doing it and was able to, you know, emulate it in my own way, in my own style and do what I do, you know. So it was definitely a a win-win for me, Mm. you know, being able to see the best, do the best in order to become one of the best. Uh, turning to the new album, Hip Hop Frontline, uh, the you know first track is uh, "Back to Bars," uh, featuring mm-hmm. Nino Man, Van Du, My Son, Fred the Godson, Locksmith, John Connor, and Joel Ortiz. An incredible track. Um, but w- for you, real quickly, what about what what is it about each of these artists that say bars to you? All of them are lyrical in their own way, have their own style. It's a difference between a rapper and an MC. Anybody can rap. When you hear the, the trappers and the, the what the other guys call the mumble rappers or whatever, and no disrespect to them, those is rappers. They just getting on there saying whatever they want to say. You know, the money, the drugs, women, hoes, bitches, punks, whatever. And you know, 
that's what they're doing. You see, but when it comes to lyricists, not saying that some lyricists don't incorporate some of the things, but a lyricist can can teach, it can educate, it can uplift, it can make a person think, it can change a person's life. Mm-hmm. Understand what I'm saying? Everybody doesn't have that gift, you know. And some guys on that record all have that gift, mm. you know. They, they're true MCs, and if you put them in a contest or a battle or something, like they're gonna stand their ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, it, it's, it's, and it's more artists out there, but those, unfortunately, were the ones, the seven artists that I grabbed just for that intro right there. Uh, the, the track Against All Odds, which features the locks and the outlaws. It's Against All Ops. Against yeah, All Ops. It's I okay. Think, um, the beat, I think, is is incredible. It's, uh, you know, church bells, horns, it's just kind of amazing. Uh, How did you know the locks and the outlaws would kind of do justice to this beat? Well, I'm the type of person, when I hear tracks, I automatically line up who will be good on it in my mind because I've been doing this music thing for so long and I've been dealing with a lot of artists and I know what artists sound good or what and who won't. And I felt like this was a track that, you know, it should have came sooner, unfortunately, but it doesn't matter. Like, these were guys that people should have heard rhyme together and I wanted to make it happen. It was like something personal for me to make it happen. And that's why it's called Against All Ops, because in, in our world, the op is the opposition. Like, street time, that means somebody you got beef with. Mm. And these guys used to have beef. You know what I'm saying? Right. But they don't have beef anymore. You know what I'm saying? So that's why I titled the track Against All Ops. And, and just on the hook, letting people know that, you know, we're not each other's enemy. Like, know who the enemy is. We're not each other's enemy. No? Right, definitely. Um, the 24 Hours featuring uh, Papoose, uh, Bun B, and uh, Saigon, it, it asks kind of the MC, uh, what would they do if they had 24 hours to save hip-hop, right? Uh, yeah. Why at this moment do you, uh, do you think hip-hop, or does hip-hop need to be saved? Uh, do you think it's in danger with, like, culture vultures and stuff of dying, or is there something else, you know? I think it's in danger of the culture vultures. You know what I'm saying? That just grabbing anybody that they see, they can make a quick dollar off of without caring about if them educating uh, themselves about the culture, about uh, their deals, what they're signing, their points, their royalties, and having longevity in this game. It's almost like you're grabbing these kids, you're chewing them up, you're spitting them out. You're not making any stipulations with them, letting them know, hey, you're not going to run around and shoot and kill people, you know what I'm saying? Or if you get caught in any trouble, we're going to drop you. You know what I'm saying? We're not going to deal with you, whatever. Like, so it's it's opening the door for a kid that you take it straight off the street, mm-hmm. that knows street activity, who has an opportunity to change his whole life. To him changing his life, but not changing the ways and actions that they have. So the only thing you're doing is really giving a young brother more money to do more stupid shit. Right. And then when they get jammed up or whatever, you turn your back on them. You leave them. Mm. Leave them for dead. You know what I'm saying? So that's what I mean, you know, like, you know, as to save hip-hop is saving the, the younger generation who's supposed to carry the torch and as well is letting them know what's the difference, you know what I'm saying, in, in the music. Like, you know, like don't just grab a hook and say, okay, we got a big record, and make them take another any 10 songs that ain't worth anything and just throwing their project out. Ah, 
make let them make some quality projects, make some meaningful projects, make some meaningful songs. Like everything, life isn't one big party. It's a lot of serious situations going on in the world. So it's just like it's no more artist development. It's all just grab and take. Mm. That's all it is. You know what I'm saying? And and I just think some of these people need to be, uh, you know, brought to justice and some of the real artists who know what they're doing and the real uh, CEOs need to show the younger uh, generation what they need to do step by step, man, so they can have an opportunity to be around for a while even be able to live freely and enjoy their money and their, their life, you know? When you, the, the track like 24 Hours and what you just said, you know, obviously uh, with the MC, you know, obviously I understand what they're saying because they're using words, right? How do you, as the DJ, kind of get your that point across, but, you know, as a as a DJ? In this, time, in this time and age, that's the best way it works when you use lyricists because in the club, People don't like to hear no cut or scratch right. no more or whatever. This is like it's, it's different. People just want to party. Like I said, the whole game is dumbed down, and I think it's dumbed down because of drug usage. I mean, you know, if you're high on some shit and you're spaced out, kind of, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Freaks you out. Shows you somewhere else, you understand, that you probably don't really want to see. And I, I understand that. Because when I was young, guys, I was zoned out. You know, when I was a kid, a teenager, so I understand that. But it's just like now, opposed to back then, where we celebrated the hustlers, these cats are celebrating the fiends. Mm. Right? We couldn't play songs, as you know, that had popping that Molly or sipping that syrup. Or like back then, you couldn't pop, play a record like "Snip the Bag of Dope." The word "dope" would be edited. "Smoke the Bag of Angel Dust." Angel Dust would be edited. Right. So, so right now, it's just like the the drug words aren't drugs. It's, it's not taboo no more. It's like they go through freely, and it's almost like it, it 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 sends a message that it's okay. Hmm. You no. Know? Yeah. Like even if I said if you said I shot that motherfucker in the face, that whole line was gonna be muted. Right. He was gonna hear instrumental. You know what I'm saying? Like, right now, I'll be like, I shot that mother in the face. This, but you can still understand. You understand? Yeah. It's just like, it's, 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 no, it's no penalty or repercussions to anything that's being done right now in the culture as far as protecting the younger brothers and sisters from falling into a trap thinking that it's cool. That's, that's my biggest problem. Now, I know, like I said, this is people's life experience, and I'm not telling them not to talk about their life. It's just their life. It's their experience. But if, if you're going to send somebody to buy some drugs, right. well, can you make a record about the rehab, too? Can you <laughs> tell them to get some help? Right, right. I mean, if you shoot somebody in your record, you kill 20 people on eight records. Uh, you send the avalanche or the other one? <laughs> like, you're, like right. you understand, like, like, if you're going to knock somebody down, make some kind of provision to pick them back up somehow. Right. Definitely. That's my thing. Um, I want to turn to uh, the track, uh, I Do This on the Regular, featuring Kevin Gates. Um, yeah. I think it's it's one of those great examples of, you know, of you knowing your artist, because what you do is that you really kind of use uh, Kevin's voice as another instrument. Um. Can you mm-hmm. kind of talk about the creation of this track and how did you how did you know that you know Kevin Gates' voice could be like kind of essentially replace 
you know, some of the beat that you might have put underneath another artist? I'm going to keep it 100% truthful with that. Okay. I had a different song I did with Kevin Gates. Ah. And he hit me and said, yo, Slay, I just recorded this other track with uh, Patrick Carmelo. Scrap the other one. This one fits your album better. I'm like, Kev, man, come on. He said, Slay, trust me, what I'm talking about in your audience, and when I heard it, I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, he's right. You understand what I'm saying? So, like, I, that was all his creation and doing on that one track there. Every other track I put together from the beginning, but that one joint right there, I, we did one joint, um, what was the name? I think Molly Roy. I forgot the name of the other joint we did. I thought that was the producer that was track. But that joint there, when he sent that, I was like, oh my God, like this here is, is a must. Okay, we going with this. And so... Is that, I mean, is that kind of, has that happened before in, in, in kind of your career of making, uh, you know, albums or mixtapes that, that that kind of example has happened where an artist has convinced you enough to kind of replace his or her own work? Yeah, I mean, every now and then, very rare that something like that could happen. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, I remember I sent Eminem a beat for my second album and he wound up sending this joint back with him and Obi Trice going back to back. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, you know what I'm saying? And, yeah. and I think, he, if I'm not mistaken, he did the beat as well. You know, because M did beats. I was like, sheesh. <laughs> okay, so get, forget that track. We're going to use this right here. Like, you understand like that? So there's been a few occasions where uh, that happens. Uh, I think, you know, you obviously look, you look throughout your career, you look at your mixtapes, you look at your albums, and, and what's incredible is that you've worked with everyone from every region of the United States, right? Um, mm-hmm. How do you kind of, how do you balance that? How do you balance the artist's style with your style and, and, and keep it keep it true to your style And when you have like a Bun B in you or, you know, a Little Wayne in you or, you know, Joel Ortiz in you? Like, how do you balance all those styles? Well, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's just a matter of your ear and just knowing what goes where and how to make everything flow. Like, when I do my product, I like for it to be a nice, smooth flow for every record behind each other, you know? So it's kind of like you just got to know your artist. You got to listen to them, listen to what they're saying and keep everything in one mood and slide to the other mood where, you know, where nobody want to even really click uh, to change the track button, you know? Right. It's just about really knowing the music and knowing the artists, and, and that's how it always works, you know? Uh, as mentioned, you've worked with all these artists. Has there ever been, like, a... And not to say you had low expectations about an artist, or just, you know, you could have been just like, you know, um, there's just no, just no expectations, but not in a negative way. Was there ever an artist that kind of completely blew you away, that it kind of surprised you uh, when they got on a, one of your tracks? Um, I'm not going to lie. Like, honestly, everybody that I deal with, I kind of already know what I expect from them. Mm. It's like nobody I really underestimate, you know, or overestimate. I mean, it's always going to be times where people get on and go a little harder than you expected. Or right. But, like, honestly, it's, I haven't been disappointed. And if somebody did lay a verse sometime, if I felt like they could do better, the easiest way I would 
tell them is that, yo, you know, um, so-and-so went kind of hard on the track, man. You might want to go a little harder, you know, and that'll make them want to, you know, go back in and, you know, tighten up, you know? That's like one of the little tricks I pulled. But other than that, everybody always pretty much do what I expect them to do. Um, in the day of, you know, you went from the mixtape, physical tapes to now obviously we're streaming now uh do you have a preference of over streaming versus physical mixtapes and cds you've done or you know does it just as long as the music gets out there it gets out there man i, I don't like that streaming shit like i think it's bullshit real talk it's yeah. just, it's it's cheating like how the hell like like i mean i come from the era where you had to earn what you got right how the hell did it get to me listening to something equate to a plus for the platinum? So you mean, that's just like, okay, you got to have like a billion streams to go platinum, right? But what if a half of the billion didn't like the record? Right, right. Good like, point. it should be a, a click button like, like, don't like and it be judged by that which is still bullshit you understand because they didn't actually buy the record but if that's the game they want to play fine but if, if a billion people let me just be an asshole what if a billion people don't like the record that they just happen to stop and listen to right you get rewarded for that right, like, right. you understand what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. like what kind of shit system is this now I, I understand it must have been well look People are stealing music. Let's find a way to make money off what people are taking and getting for free. But now you done destroyed the whole go out and buy the album concept. Because right. why would somebody pay for something that's just a really super duper fan that really like to collect music? But why somebody go go buy a product that they can listen to for free? Right. Then y'all made it where it's this stupid billion number or something for an artist to go platinum, and then the, the dollar equivalent, like a tenth of a penny or whatever retarded shit they got off the street, it's just ridiculous, yo. I just feel like there was another way for them to fuck all this over without them really knowing how much they're supposed to get paid in exact, right. you know, for this streaming bullshit. It's bullshit. Have you ever kind of... I know there's been some artists who try to, you know, who tried to... It's, it's as you mentioned, it's like... And if someone's going to steal it, might as well put it on the stream because then you could get at least something out of it, right? Uh, has there ever been a time where you've, you know, like, you know, you've tried to maybe re- be resistant to putting your stuff on the, sh- you know, stream services, or is this like a game that you have to play? It's a, at this point, it's like a game you got to play because regardless to whether you do or not, somebody's going to rip it and put it on YouTube. Right, it's true. They're going to put it on other, uh, the blogs and going to put it on their site. Right? It's going to get out there regardless. It's going to get on these other uh, streaming sites and websites and all that. It's like impossible. Like, right? chess is in the wind, man. That's a good point. No, that's a good point. Uh, I just have a, one more question for you. Uh, you obviously, as mentioned, you 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 represent all the elements of hip hop. And, you know, we're at a stage where. Because of the popularity that I think um, around the world, uh, the MC is the the kind of the ambassador, right, of hip hop. Uh, but if it was up to you, if you were to kind of choose between Graf, DJ, 
breaking, emceeing, knowledge of self. What one element would you want to kind of be the ultimate ambassador to hip hop? Knowledge of self. It has to be knowledge of self because you have to know. Knowledge is no. Like, if, if, like, more people out here in this industry knew the game, knew the business, knew where the culture came from, they'd be more intelligent businessmen and more successful people. There's a bunch of dummies in this industry. Half of them don't know who the legends is. They don't even know why they're making this money. They don't have no idea what their contracts say. They don't look into I mean, it. It's a bunch of dummies. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. They're ignorant to certain facts of the game. And, and I believe that you know, knowledge is infinite. Like, you should know. Anything that you get involved in, you should know the ups and downs, the ins and the outs of the business. That's the way you become successful. Don't wait until 10 years from now that you want to start crying about this guy ripped you off or I'm broke because this, that's because you did not take the time to do the knowledge and learn the business. Knowledge comes first. True. Uh, he's DJ K. Slay, new album, Hip Hop Frontline. Uh, K. Slay, it's an honor to talk to you on the library with Tim Monica. Thank you so much for doing this. <laughs>